Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country. As they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hi friends, this is Jennifer Watley-Maxell and I am here with my colleagues, Adam Borneman, Adam Mixon, and Mark Ramsey. Happy to come to you and just talk a little bit today about something that is what I would call a silent epidemic that we are dealing with in our country and that is the epidemic of loneliness. I was watching recently a story on NBC News, and they were saying that approximately 67% of Americans right now are suffering with some type of loneliness. What I find interesting, though, is that one of the main things they say combats loneliness is a sense of belonging, that most people, what they really need most is a place to be seen, a place to be heard, a place to belong, which is what churches, I thought, were supposed to be about at one point. So I think it's a really interesting conversation for us to have in terms of the epidemic in general. But then how do we as the church, who have always traditionally, I would say, been a place to belong, how do we enter into this conversation? Jennifer, off the top of my head, one of the things that I've been thinking about is the one of the conversations we had previously about superficiality and how it undermines deep spiritual formation. I think that there's a link between that superficiality also and loneliness, because in some respects, because of the pandemic, people have become more connected and communities have become broader across kind of a virtual context, but that doesn't necessarily mean all of those connections are deep and meaningful ones. And then I would even go further as to ask whether or not it's time for us to really take some stock in the type of connections that we've been creating in our local fellowships. And I'll tell you why. I've encountered a phenomenon with our men's small group at my church And what happened during the pandemic is we started getting men connecting from all over the country. And one of the things that came up just as recent as yesterday in our talk was the fact that these types of connections don't exist even at the local church level. In many respects, the men connected to my group don't feel safe sharing or being vulnerable in those local fellowships, but they've kind of found that place in this small virtual gathering. Uh, There's something to that that I think we need to be thinking about right now in this season. Yeah, and of course, it's not just this season. I think most of our colleagues and listeners of this podcast know this, but this is one among many phenomena that has in many ways, just been accelerated. A lot of large companies and those who administer surveys were already tracking this as a rather catastrophic issue in the culture. All the way back in May of 2018, Cigna came out with this huge survey about younger generations are lonelier than any other demographic. So this is already you know, huge red flags waving and the relationship of loneliness, its similarity to other statistics around mortality rates. So that's what stands out to me is that this is just something that along with all the variables that you all are naming has really just been accelerated and expanded. And that to me begs the question, since we've had 
really large slashing neon sign warnings about this for years and years now. Why aren't we responding to it? And Jennifer, to your point, why isn't the church basically putting all its resources into addressing this? I mean, I I can venture a couple ideas, but I would love to hear what you all think. One is, and Adam, to your point, it requires a connection at a depth. Hey, how you doing? How's the weather? How about the Masters tournament? How about that football game? Which passes for a lot of conversation in church, doesn't cut it. And so people are going to go away. And we've also, as we've talked many times on this, we continue to sort ourselves as a society so that we're only with people that agree with us. But the more we sort, we find ourselves alone because at the end of the day, no one agrees with me. And so I'm just in my own little world. Why are we ignoring this as a church or at least certainly trying to look past it? I think one of the reasons why we ignore it is because real connection demands vulnerability. And vulnerability is risky and it's messy. We would rather just, you know, keep it on that surface level. We want, how many times have you asked how somebody is doing and you really don't want to know how they're doing? (laughs) One of the things that I laugh about with my congregation is that we prayed intentionally, virtually throughout the pandemic. We would have set times during the week. And I said, wow, we've probably prayed more for each other now than we did when we took meeting in person for granted because we just lied to each other, right? We would look at each other on a Sunday afternoon and we would say, oh, God bless you. It's good to see you. If they say that they got something going on, we'll say, I'll pray for you. And then we don't think about that praying for them until we see them the next week. It's just kind of lobbed out there, but it's not really, there's no substance to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the connection piece is huge, and, and I appreciate you naming the vulnerability piece as well. And I also think it has to do with our loss of values in terms of culture, that we do not value those intrinsic human values anymore, that we have been so inundated with consumerism, and we have been so inundated with value based on what we acquire and what we have and materialism. And the church has been infected with that as well, that we have kind of gone towards the bright, shiny things, just as the world has gone towards the bright, shiny things. And we are no longer having the conversations that inform and feed people on what are Christian values. Christian values are not You are blessed because you got a new car this year or because you got a new promotion on your job. That means you're blessed. Those are not Christian values. Christian values are about the community and our responsibility, not only to ourselves and our relationship with God, but our relationship to each other and taking care of and looking out for each other in community and engaging in that deep connection. So I think it's the connection piece. I think it's our discomfort with vulnerability. And I really think it's a values-based argument as well. Jen, that's really helpful. And I would just add to that, when we give ourselves over to community, I can't get my way all the time. And I actually have to listen to other people telling me things that I may or may not want to hear, and I may have to change. Community is wonderful, but if we just have all built our own sandboxes to play in, it can be a threat. You know, the pastors I work with, the churches I work with, they do care about community. They do care about relationships. The tricky thing is what Mark just alluded to, and that is 
okay, then how do we create spaces of belonging where, Jennifer, to your point about values, how do we create spaces of belonging where things like humility and compromise are prioritized? How can you go into a community and say, you know what, I'm going to have to swallow some pills here that I probably don't want to, and I'm going to have to be faithful in that, which is hard. And it doesn't mean being a doormat, but it does mean saying, I'm more committed to these people who with me are trying to follow Jesus than I am to finding my tribe somewhere on the internet or in the community somewhere else. That's the real hard work of this is the humility that is absolutely required and necessary and our willingness or unwillingness to name it out front. I would add to that um, idea of humility, the idea of hospitality. Let's be honest and really ask the question about the uh, personality of our community. Is it welcoming? Mark was talking earlier about the sort. I can't count the number of times I've walked into a church and immediately felt like I was, you sit here, you (laughs) put this big visitor button on. There's a feeling that you have when you enter into spaces and it's unseen, but it's deeply felt as to whether or not this place is safe, whether or not I'm being received or am I being examined? Am I being sized up or am I being drawn in? Some churches that claim to be really welcoming and really active socially and in the community, I've gone in them and it felt like I was in the icebox. It was just frosty and I was like, yo, this, there's something really going on here that, you know, needs to be addressed. Yeah. I think some of that comes out of what I guess I think in my mind as kind of this programmatic model of ministry where we are kind of rolling out programs to meet needs that we see in community, but we're not rolling out relationships to connect with people in our community. And I think the challenge is that there are programs being released by all kinds of institutions. And so it's not like the church is the only one out here doing this. And there are a lot of institutions that are out programming us in a lot of ways. And so now that we cannot necessarily rely on our programs and we really have to get back to those relationships, part of what I think we are having to wrestle with is the ways that we have allowed culture to drive what we do in churches. And one of the things I think about is this heavy season of politicalization that we are going through and how we have allowed churches to become places where certain people with certain political ideas can come and certain people can't, where we can't talk across boundaries. People can't express themselves. I was trying to look into some definitions of loneliness. And one of the things that they were saying in terms of what people are looking for is people are looking for a seat at the table of their own lives. Mm. And the reason that was so powerful to me is because at churches, a lot of times we're still inviting people to sit at our table. We haven't expressed that we are even interested in whether people have a seat at the table in their own life or at Jesus's table. I mean, let's not even talk about that. You know what I mean? And so it's like, again, there's this kind of fundamental breakdown. 
Well, of course, you know, when Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus's house, there's a type of really important hospitality there that says, I trust you enough and I value enough to go into the space where you're comfortable. You know, culturally, we look at that as sort of odd, but there's all sorts of examples like that in scripture where it looks like inviting ourselves to be somewhere else, which I actually think is not just important, but a distinctly Christian value that we can put on the table. You know what I found so interesting about that, Adam? I think about how when I was growing up, it wasn't unusual if someone was in your town or in your neighborhood, even if it was unannounced and they knew you were home, they would just drop by. They didn't need an invitation. It wasn't seen as an imposition. It was just seen as, oh, I was in your neighborhood and I know you're here and I heard you were going through such and such. So I just thought I'd drop by. And that was seen as a hospitable, neighborly thing to do. When you think about what Jesus did at Zacchaeus's house, that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, are you comfortable with me coming over? Jesus is saying, hey, I know you have a need and I'm in the neighborhood, so I'm just going to stop by. But how have we now gotten into this model where it's seen as rude mm-hmm. for us to see people in need and to say, hey, I see you struggling I'm coming to see about you. Yeah. I want to take that comment and circle back to a word we used a couple minutes ago, which is the word safe. I think every faith community uh, needs to have a explicit conversation about the elements that make for a safe space. And I'm wondering if we could all offer a few of them as sort of a starter for them, because a lot of congregations think they're welcoming, think they're friendly, think they're hospitable. But there are, as we've all alluded to, these barriers to actually feeling like belonging is possible or safety. I think one of the ways to take an inventory of that, if I can do a little plug here, a few years ago, I wrote a piece for our blog, the front porch, the living room, the dining room, the kitchen, talking about the different ways that we as churches operate and what it looks like in those spaces. So I do think that one of the most important but crucial conversations for a church to have is to say, what types of spaces have we already created and what's missing? Do we have spaces for intimate friendship or or we only have spaces for entertaining people and never let them into the back room, never let them into the kitchen. And why is that? So I use that as a metaphor. The house is a metaphor for congregations to evaluate the types of spaces they've created or not created. I would add, again, kind of a layer below that, just in a mentality and approach is, again, you know, vulnerability, suspending this idea that we have to be perfect. That's from how the choir sings, how the preacher, if I stumble over, I mean, and the pandemic, like put all this stuff on display because people were like recording and re-recording instead of just doing your best and letting the chips fall where they may. It's like, oh, I got to do this again. I'm going to re-record this or the choir has to start over. And I'm like, no, because if somebody shows up and we're in person, guess what? You're not going to be able to hit the rewind. The choir, somebody's going to hit a bad note. A child is going to flip over the pew and knock over the offering tray. Something is going to happen. That's part of the realness of it. Can we set aside the performance of it all? This grand show. That's not to say we don't do our best, but let people see the wrinkles and the chinks. At the very worst, somebody might chuckle a little, and it might be a good time for that, seeing as how some of our services go, right? And one of the things, to your point, Adam, I think— One of the questions for us to ask ourselves, are we more concerned with how people are showing up or why they're showing up the way they're showing up? 
that in a lot of our churches, we spend so much time concerned about and kind of policing how people show up in the space and how they engage in the space and how they behave in the space instead of saying, well, why are they showing up like this? Maybe this person is showing up angry because they're frustrated and they are upset that they haven't seen anybody in seven days or their phone hasn't rung in 10 days, that there are reasons why people are showing up the way they are. And if we just stop at how and respond to the how without interrogating the why, I think we're missing a huge opportunity at forming those deep connections and relationships. And Jen, I want to return to what you said early on, which is that the need in our society right now is so great and so obvious. And the church in our best moments knows exactly how to reach out, provide safe spaces, provide connection. We are rarely this prescriptive. Every single faith community needs to be having this conversation and change whatever they need to change so they can help all of us address this crying need. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.